He is one out away. Deep breath. Three balls and a strike. Up the middle. Baez has it. It's a no-hitter. The former college walk-on has made history in Milwaukee. What a great moment for Alec Mills as the Cubs win the ball game 12 to nothing. Well, a great weekend for the Chicago Cubs and a great day for Alec Mills and the Cubs. What's going on, Cubs fans? You are listening to Lockdown Cubs, part of the Lockdown Network, your team every day. I am Sean Sears, and on today's episode, we are talking about the Cubs bouncing back this weekend after a tough 1-0 loss on Friday's first matchup with the Brewers. They come back to win Saturday's game in an impressive comeback win with the Jason Hayward home run. And then Sunday, absolutely crushed the Brewers 12 to nothing. Oh, and Alec Mills threw the Cubs' 16th no-hitter in team history. An incredible performance for the 28-year-old Mills. Just insane weekend for, for the Cubs and, and, and Chicago sports in general as the Bears pulled off a crazy win on Sunday as well. We have Ryan Davis joining us here in the second segment to talk about Mills' no-no as well as dive into the Cubs' rotation and bullpen, which has been very good. Um surprisingly after a really rough start to the season so that and more as we recap the alec mills no hitter from sunday you can get lockdown cubs and whatever podcast app you use whether that's google apple spotify TuneIn app stitcher iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to your podcast make sure you subscribe leave a five-star review and when you get into your car tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of our podcast locked on cubs Today's episode is brought to you in partnership with Cubs Insider. Head to CubsInsider.com to read about Ryan Tapera's incredible whiff rate and how it puts him among MLB's elite relievers. That and more at CubsInsider.com, official partner of Lockdown Cubs. And make sure you follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Cubs. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean R. Sears. Follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Q. Davis. So we're going to dive into this uh, no-hitter here quickly Uh in a second once Ryan joins the show here in a moment, but I wanted to recap the weekend just kind of quickly because it was kind of an insane weekend. Um, it starts out Friday with a one nothing loss to the Brewers as the Cubs get an incredible performance from John Lester, easily one of his best outings of the year. He goes six innings, allows just three hits, two walks, eight strikeouts, 97 pitches through six innings of work. Impressive stuff from Lester. Unfortunately, the Cubs could not capitalize. <laughs> On the other end, Brandon Woodruff had an even more impressive night. Seven innings, 12 strikeouts, allowed just one hit on 100 pitches through seven innings. Brandon Woodruff was just untouchable uh, Friday night, and the Cubs just couldn't hit him. Uh, Collectively, the Cubs struck out 16 times against the Brewers. It was probably about the peak of where we'd seen this offense just really just look so bad, unable to really put together some... Uh, good at bats. It felt like the Cubs were getting guys on with uh, two outs <laughs> quite a bit. On the day, the Cubs went 0 for 4 with runners in scoring position. There weren't a ton of runners in scoring position throughout this game, and it ends with the Brewers, I think, just getting two hits at the end of this game here. I think it was Christian Yelich actually walked, and then Jed Yurko singled into right field. Yelich moved to third on the play. Ronwick was then replaced by Jeremy Jeffress, who gave up a fly ball to Ryan, Ryan Braun on a 1-1 count. Uh, fly ball to center field. Happ had no chance. Yelich scores. Brewers win on a walk-off. Frustrating game. That continues, unfortunately, into Saturday a little bit. The Cubs end up winning this game 4-2. to 
but the scoring does not really come for the Cubs until the end of this game. Another great performance from Kyle Hendricks, who does another wonderful job on the road. Seven and two-thirds innings of work, six hits, two earned runs, seven strikeouts on just one home run, 106 pitches. Kyle Hendricks looked impressive, unfortunately, does not get the win. It's Jason Adam who does, who comes in to take the final inning, or get the final out on the eighth for Hendricks. Craig Kimbrell picked up his second save of the year. It was a bullpen game for the Brewers. Uh, Brett Suter comes in replacing, uh, I believe it was Brett Anderson that was slated to start in this game, and then the Brewers just kind of got a a mosh posh of starters coming, or relievers coming in from Suter to Peralta, Eric Yardley, Alex Claudio, Devin Williams again, and Josh Hader, who ends up with a blown save. So everything was leaning towards the Brewers at this point. They had a home run from Ryan Braun, a two-run shot with Dan Vogelbach, who had gotten on base just before with a single in the left field. And that was essentially the difference. The Cubs threatened a few times, kind of, sort of. They'd get maybe, I know Chris Bryant hit a triple, I think with like one out um, somewhere along in this lane. But the top of the ninth, it starts out with uh, Devin Williams getting replaced by Josh, or Josh Hader replacing Devin Williams. He comes in and strikes out Kyle Schwarber. Javi Baez gets a single on a 1-0 count, smashes his ball into right field. Anthony Rizzo then pinch hits for Victor Carantini. He gets a single in the right field. Baez, Baez moves up to third. Billy Hamilton comes in to pinch run for Anthony Rizzo. The Cubs all of a sudden in just two at-bats, crazy momentum with one out. Jason Hayward then on a 1-2 count smashes a ball into right center field. Like, no doubter, absolutely gone. The Cubs are now up 3-2. to two. <laughs> Then Ildemaro Vargas on a full count smashes a home run into left field. The Cubs go back-to-back and now are up 4-2 against the Brewers. Kipnis fly, or pops out. Ian Happ flies out to end this inning, but the Cubs get the four runs they absolutely needed. Uh, then bottom of the ninth, Craig Cambrell comes in and immediately gives up two singles to Keston Hero and Jed Yurko. Uh, he then induces a strikeout from Dan Vogelbach. And then Ben Gamble comes in to pinch hit for Tyrone Taylor. He grounds out, force out to third, unassisted. Peterson moves up to second, Gamble to first. Uh, Jace Peterson came in to pinch run for uh, Jed Yurko, who had obviously singled beforehand. So they get Keston Hero, the lead run out, out. So uh, one out, runners on, or excuse me, two outs, runners on second and first. And then Orlando Arcia lines out. Uh, so line out to Vargas, and Craig Kimbrell gets the save. The Cubs steal a win. They feel like they had no business winning this game, but they do, and they have a chance to win this series then on Sunday, which results with a 12 to nothing win and a no-hitter from Alec Mills. Just incredible stuff. We'll dive into Alec Mills' no-hitter here in the second segment. We're going to go over the scoring quickly for the Cubs because it happened quite a bit. Top of the fourth, though, the scoring starts with the Jason Hayward double. Uh, that sees Kyle Schwarber and Javier Baez, or Kyle Schwarber scoring, Javier Baez moving up to third, and then he scores after Jason Hayward reaches on an air, or excuse me, Jason Kipnis reaches on an air. Hayward moves up to third. Kipnis goes to first, obviously, on the air. A single from Carantini scores Hayward. Kipnis moves up to second. Bodie then is hit by pitch, so base is loaded. Ian Happ up to bat. He hits a single in the left field. Kipnis scores. Carantini scores. Bodie moves up to third. The Cubs end the top of the fourth up 5-0 against the Brewers. So big scoring in the fourth. It continues in the fifth. Jason Kipnis hit a fly ball sacrifice that scored. Kyle Schwarber, who got on base with a walk, followed up with Javi Baez, hitting a double, who scored on this play as well. Victor Carantini walks, and then David Bodie hits a two-run shot. Cubs now up 9-0 after just two innings of work there. 
Victor Carantini adds in another run as Hayward got on base with a walk. He brings him home. Carantini, that is, brings home Hayward on a double into center field. Comes up 10-0. And then they tack on two more with the Victor Carantini ground out. Hayward scores on the play. Kipnis moves up to third. David Bodie then brings Kipnis in on a sacrifice fly. Just following Carantini, the Cubs up 12-0. And Alec Mills puts the final touches on his 12-0 no-hitter. Insane weekend. The Cubs absolutely needed it. They win their series against the Reds prior to this as well. Uh, Cubs 10 and 10. They're <laughs> 5 and 5 in their last 10 games, 10 and 10 in their last 20 games. Uh, currently looking at the NL Central standings right now, the Cubs hold a four game lead at 28 and 20 over the St. Louis Cardinals, who are 20 and 20. Brewers now fall back to six games behind the Cubs. Two games back behind the Cardinals at 20 and 24. Cincinnati at 21 and 6, 26. Six and a half games behind the Cubs. And then Pittsburgh, 14 and 13, 12 games behind. Obviously not in this playoff picture anymore at this point. Uh, huge win. I, I mean, you look at the rest of the schedule for the Cubs. They've got Cleveland coming up. Uh, two game series starting this week. And then Minnesota, I believe, for four. And then I think they see the Pirates. And then it's the White Sox to round out this series, this season, I guess, which crazy to think the season's already coming close to an end but the cubs man that start that 13 and 3 start could not have done the cubs any more favors this was huge so but with that that was the weekend series we're going to dive into the obviously alec mills no hitter some of the bullpen news we've seen is the results have been much better and we're going to kind of talk about this rotation what the postseason holds for this cubs rotation obviously hendricks and darvish key parts of this rotation going forward but is Alec Mills a guy you want to continue to leave in the rotation is he a swing guy we'll talk about that and more here in the second segment with Ryan Davis Bill Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever and they're improved now and more delicious than ever with six new flavors to add to their already 18 amazing flavors being caramel brownie cookies and cream cherry baraka lemon almond cheesecake carrot cake Apple Almond Crisp, some delicious flavors to go along with their coconut almond, raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, mint brownies, actually my favorite, double chocolate, orange, toffee, coconut, peanut butter brownie, all those flavors. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, easy, soft to chew, some of the best tasting bars I've had, but on top of it, Built Bar is healthy. It's great for health conscious people like myself who are trying to lose weight or you know work out and still try and keep eating something good for you, but that is low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. It's great for keto diets. Um, it's a ton of just great options you can have while you're working out, while you're trying to eat a little bit healthier. Those are things Built Bar is built for. But I think what one of my favorites is the cookies and cream. It's got 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, just four grams of sugar and four grams of net carb. I'm not very uh, a super health conscious person myself. I like cookies and cream. I like stuff that tastes good, but I'm definitely trying to look for stuff to snack on throughout the day. Built Bar's been great because obviously, first off, they sent me some bars immediately when they first started partnering with Locked On, and they're delicious. But it's nice to have something that I can eat on and chew throughout the day that isn't like you know goldfish, something bad for me, pop, sugar, all this stuff that I'm probably you know constantly distracted with my refrigerator being directly behind me at my desk in my apartment. Having Built Bar here has helped me honestly lose a little bit of weight while I've been in quarantine, and it's honestly encouraged me to try and work out a little bit more. But right now, Built Bar has reset their promo code and is now offering a free cooler with purchase. So while supplies last, there's only about a week or so left in this, so obviously place your order soon, but go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your next order. 
Once again, that's promo code LOCKDOWN for $10 off at BuiltBar.com, the best tasting protein bar you will ever have. All right, Cubs fans, here in this second segment, I am joined with my co-host Ryan Davis as we, uh, we're going to break down a little bit of this Brewers series, kind of, but more heavily focus on Alec Mills and his no-hitter. But Ryan, how uh, first off, how are you doing today? Thanks for being on the show. I'm doing really well. How are you? Not bad. Uh, man, Sunday, especially with the way the Bears were playing initially, I was like, man, this Sunday is going to suck. And then the Bears somehow pull out a win, thanks to Mitch Trubisky. Ha, 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 not really. Uh, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but then Alec Mills. I mean, I was slipping between this game. And I saw Mills pitching well, but didn't really think anything of it. And then I came back to it in like the seventh inning. I was like, oh, my God, he is a no-hitter. <laughs> um, so that was pretty cool. But what was your uh, what were your overall thoughts from that Sunday matchup with the Cubs and Brewers? Yeah, like many Chicago sports fans, I also opted to watch that awful Bears victory uh, uh, instead of most of the Cubs game. And I was aware that Mills had a no-hitter, but kind of what everyone's talked about with Alec Mills is he's kind of the least – he's kind of the most surprising except for maybe John Lester of guys who in 2020 would throw a no hitter on this pitching staff. So when you see him, you know, third inning, no hits, fifth inning, no hits, you're kind of just like, okay, but eventually he's going to run out of gas, right? Like, or, or his pitch count probably will get too high. Uh, he's going to give up a hit eventually because he gives up so much contact and it's not a guy that you think is going to, you know, make it all the way through nine innings and do the whole thing. So uh, yeah, I switched over. I think I saw the last out of the seventh, and then I saw the eighth and ninth. And I had seen, mm-hmm. you know, during commercials during the Bears game and during halftime a little bit. So, like, I didn't see the whole thing. I think there's probably very few Cubs fans who can brag that they watched it beginning to end uh, without, you know, leaving to watch the Bears. So, yeah, kudos to Alec Mills. I found out today um, from 670 The Score on Twitter that Alec Mills grew up a Cubs fan. So he was saying that it was really special hearing uh, Pat Hughes' radio call uh, of him throwing the no-hitter. It was really, really cool for him. And so it made me, like, go uh, start doing the math. And Alec Mills, if he grew up a Cubs fan, he would have been almost 12 years old uh, with the 2003 Cubs when they were in the NLCS against the Marlins. So he would have been 11, almost 12, when he got his heart crushed by that that team. And then he would have uh, – he would have – been a teenager in high school for the 07 Cubs and the 08 Cubs and then you know the Milton Bradley year and then the switch over he would would have been (laughs) in college for the switch over to the Theo Epstein regime and the rebuild so like it's kind of cool going back and looking at that timeline for him and uh, where he is now and uh, we've talked about him before on this podcast that this is a guy who I think is a really excellent option to be your number five going forward into next year and beyond. Yeah, exactly. I think that was that was my biggest takeaway from from this is like, okay, so we could probably realistically lean on Mills now as a guy that can be a, a fourth or fifth option in this rotation. I, I still don't think, I mean, no hitter aside, like he's been pretty good. And we'd said, even like when Russ was on the podcast last week, we were talking about how like the, the, the outings and the numbers weren't quite representing what he'd been doing on the field. He was doing a good job. The Cubs offense just wasn't doing him any favors at certain times, but um, I, I think you can say now, like, I mean, when you look at this rotation, there's only three starters signed for sure through next year. Mills being one of them, you're, you're confident in him coming into the season. We were like, yeah, I don't know. But now I think he's got a little bit over 100 innings under his belt as a starter for the Cubs or at least pitching for his career. And I think you've got a better idea of who he is. Uh, 
And I mean, that outing was just really impressive because like you said, like my takeaway when I checked in, I think in the fifth inning saw that, you know, Mills had a low pitch count, hadn't given up a hit. And I was like, okay, cool. So the bullpen's going to get a break. This is nice. And then I came back after the Bears game. I was like, okay, so uh, Alec Mills might do something really special today. And he, he did. It was impressive stuff. Yeah. And, you know, if you look back at the way he's pitched this year, he's had some games where he's been very good. And then he's had mm-hmm. some other games that haven't been as good, but the stat line is mis- uh, is a bit misleading. And there, one example is uh, the Pirates game that he pitched on September 3rd. Five innings, right. seven hits, four runs. Uh, he gave up a late three-run homer in that start, I think fourth or fifth inning. And that kind of doomed his stat line. Uh, there was another game uh, against the Cardinals that he got beat up a little bit. Uh, there was a, a game against the Reds where he got beat up a little bit, but then there was six innings, four earned runs against the Brewers earlier this season where he struck out seven batters. Um, and he, I think he just gave up one big three run homer or two run homer that, that kind of added to his stat line. But if you just break it down as look at what you would expect out of a number five starter, he's making a very low salary, which, you know, for, a number five starter is really ideal. You want to be spending that money on the guys at the top of the rotation. So you, you plug him in at the back of the rotation. He, he's on a low salary. That's great. And then of the nine starts that he's given you this year, seven of them, he's gone five innings or more. And six of those seven, he's gone six innings or more. Just looking at his line here, six innings, seven innings, six innings, three and two thirds, seven innings, three innings, five innings, six innings, and then a nine inning no hitter. So, yeah, uh, this is I, I, the really positive stuff for a problem the Cubs have had seemingly forever in that they always have to spend a ton of money on that number four or number five guy uh, and bring in someone who, you know, like a Jason Marquis or uh, you know, Jason Hamill or John Lackey, those kinds of back of the rotation guys that they're spending money on. Um, right. Now it seems like with Alec Mills, I mean, we if you look at the rotation going into next year, Darvish and Hendricks are your obvious one too. Alec Mills, you can, you know, plug in as number five. You really just have to figure out three and four. And and that's, you know, it's not an ideal situation for them going into a, a free agency when they don't plan to spend much money, I'm sure. But, you know, only figuring out three and four is a lot better than figuring out three, four, five. Yeah, no, 100%. It's nice to see the Cubs have it because this is what you were hoping for, at least just some guys. It isn't, you know, we talk about developing pitching. Everyone, of course, thinks of teams like the Mets or the, the Indians and the Cardinals, too, as well, that have developed aces or really high level talented pitchers. But, um, you know, when you're talking about developing pitchers, it's not always the aces that you're looking for. You just need guys that can contribute to this rotation. So you don't have to go and spend money every year. And having a guy like Mills, who obviously I don't think the ceiling is much higher than what we've seen this year, but the floor is very much acceptable for that back end of the rotation. So I, I, the Cubs have really lucked into a guy in Mills that, I mean, we're going to hear it nonstop now. Did you know, Ryan, that Alec Mills was a college walk-on? Uh, yeah, I, I heard all about the adversity that he's dealt with in his life. Uh, yeah. I, I I heard that word adversity on the broadcast of, towards the end a couple times, and I thought, what do I not know about his background? The only adversity I understand is that he was a college walk-on, and then he was DFA'd by the Royals and uh, eventually traded to the Cubs. Like, that's... I don't know. I don't want to be petty about it. That doesn't really ring with adversity to me, but uh, he's worked hard that we can say that he's worked really hard to get where he is. 
Uh, he's very smart. He knows what he's doing on the mound. And from what he said, he he credits a lot uh, to Kyle Hendricks for kind of working with him and teaching him how to pitch uh, with the stuff that he has you know, throwing. I mean, we saw it in the game. He, he he can hit 91 on his fastball, which is fine. He also throws 89 on, on that sinker, uh, and he throws – the 66 mile an hour curve, but then he also has a 76 mile an hour breaking ball and he commands mm-hmm. it all. Well, he mixes his pitches. Well, he doesn't overly rely on, on the pitches uh, that aren't his best pitches. He, he really, you know, throws his curveball you know, frequently. Um, and it's not just a novelty that you see a guy throw a 66 mile an hour curve, you know, once or twice a game, he throws it regularly because it's a good pitch. So it's really his intelligence that has, lifted him to where he is plus you know like he said crediting guys like kyle Hendricks for talking to him and and working with him on these things definitely no he's uh he's been impressive i I thought it was funny that with a day like (laughs) with the day with uh alex mills pitching here and you've got obviously the cubs winning 12 to nothing the offense shows up for once and and ends up with the Brewers using position players. There's Orlando Arcia, the only person I've seen throw pitches slower than Alec Mills <laughs> with those like rainbow 47 mile an hour curve balls. That was funny to watch. That was very funny to watch. I was like, when I saw Arcia on the mound, I was like, oh, yes, this game is finally like it's given me everything. The Cubs have scored a bunch of runs. Alec Mills. Right eating the brewers alive and now we've got pitch uh, position players pitching that's like one of my favorite things ever it was just funny that like of course the one game i i don't really pay too close of attention to the cups do everything i've been asking them to do for years <laughs> <laughs> yeah but hey it is what it is i guess um but yeah it was fun i i would say in terms of like how impressive this no hitter was obviously i don't think you and i watched it from start to finish i, I don't think it's gonna ring true quite like like Jake Arrieta's, both of his no-hitters, especially the one against the Dodgers, um, yeah. were just so impressive. But obviously, uh, I think Carlos Zambrano's no-hitter in 2008, I think this is the, if I can do the math, uh, is this the 12th anniversary? No. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. 12th. Yeah, yeah it 12 was, years. It was, oh it was one day from the 12-year anniversary. Today is the anniversary. He threw the no-hitter yesterday, which I thought was crazy. 12 years almost to the day in the same ballpark. Right. Just nuts. But yeah. um, I guess and, in terms of like the four most recent no hitters you've seen so far, we've seen the Cubs produce now in these last couple of years. What was the most impressive one to you, Ryan? Well, I don't think you can really even argue. I think the Arietta no hitter in 2015 in Dodger Stadium on Sunday night baseball. I think that's probably the most impressive by a mile. Um, yeah. I looked at I saw I can't remember who it was, but somebody tweeted the game score on uh Mills is no hitter and it was an 89 game score, which is good. I mean, that's a that's really, good. that's a really good game. Uh, and right there with him was the Jake Arietta 2016, no hitter in Cincinnati. That was also an 89 game score. And I, I, I would have guessed it was higher than that, but yeah. So Mills is no hitter was right on par with the dominance of uh, the Jake Arietta no hitter. And, the most interesting thing about all of this to me, if you're just looking at composite pitching per team, uh, Mills's nine innings yesterday was nowhere near as dominant than the Brewers' nine innings they pitched against the Cubs on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> it was insane <laughs> to me. I mean, I pointed this out on Twitter, and, and part of it was that disgustingly large umpire strike zone, right? Yeah. But 
the Brewers on Friday through nine innings allowed two hits and struck out 16 Cubs. We're talking about one more hit and four less strikeouts than Kerry Wood against the Astros. That's what the Cubs did on Friday. So <laughs> it was a very odd weekend to say the least, but they won two out of three. And then the Mills no hitter, the comeback against Hater on Saturday, which I completely missed. I saw as highlights the next day and kicked myself for not watching the game. But yeah, it was a very interesting weekend. And I think that that three game stretch is kind of like the microcosm of how weird 2020 has been as a baseball season. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much highlighted all the Cubs weaknesses and strengths in a three game series, which was funny to see, but yeah, that, that Saturday game, they had no business winning and still did. Thank thankfully by Jason Hayward. And, uh, was it Omaro Vargas? Yeah. Il tomorrow. Il tomorrow. Il tomorrow Vargas. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Too many, there was too many constants in that name for me. Um, but yeah, both of them going back to back, that was huge. But yeah, it just that super surprising to go from being absolutely dominated Friday to doing the exact opposite on Sunday. It was, right. uh, it was fun to see. But yeah, that <laughs> touching on that zone just for a second, then we'll, we'll move on to the next sub- subject. How many times have the Brewers gotten a massive zone against the Cubs? And how many times have they ever deserved a zone like that? I mean, that zone, I, I think a lot of it has to do with just the umpire, obviously, itself. But the Brewers pitching in the bullpen, they, they don't necessarily have a ton of command. They do walk a lot, but they strike out just as much as anyone else in baseball uh, batters. Just incredible stuff. And they're especially a guy like Devin Williams, his stuff just looks nasty and is very yeah. pretty to watch. And even when it's just barely outside, I think a lot of umpires are just like, damn, that was a really good slider curveball that just barely missed. I'm going to give it to him sometimes. And it's like, what? No, <laughs> don't do that. Call it a ball, call it a strike of the strike. But yeah, right. the Brewers definitely have been helped with some big zones against the Cubs specifically this year. And, and it's been both ways to a degree. I, if I had to just say the way I feel it's happened this year, I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, missed calls on both sides, but the, it seems like the Cubs are always getting just a few more called against them than they get. Uh, so that's frustrating. And I'm sure Cubs fans feel exactly the same way. But yeah. I did I did see Alec Mills in the eighth inning last night getting some calls that were very borderline, uh, yes. even on the outside of borderline that he was getting. But then in the ninth inning, I saw at least two balls that were very clearly border strikes, and he called them balls. And I was like, are you kidding me? This guy right. throwing a no-hitter, and you're calling it a ball on a pitch that m- maybe it's on the black, but it's it's a strike. Like it's a yeah. good strike. Like this guy, he's throwing a great game. If he's throwing that pitch and getting it in that exact spot, you have to call that a strike. Right. Especially because like the Brewers had waved the white flag, like Ar- <laughs> Orlando Arcia pitched the inning before, like, come on, like, just let's get in this game. This guy's pitched a great game. Let's not ruin it over some like technical ball strike calls. here. Right. But yeah. Luckily that didn't happen. The Cubs come out on top. Alec Mills gets his first no hitter and uh, everything's perfect right now for the Cubs until they play on Tuesday. I'm sure they'll find ways to frustrate us then, but um, take a look at this bullpen. Now, obviously the rotation, we've talked about this. We've talked about the rotation bullpen a bunch, but there was a great article from Sahad of Sharma that came out today that really kind of pointed out just how strong this bullpen has been. It's been a massive improvement. And, you know, with the mix of guys like (laughs) 
who, who would have thought, but Jason Adam coming in and pitching some strong innings since come call, like being called back up from South Bend. Rex Brothers, I didn't realize, was having so much success in South Bend. Who knows if that translates to Major League Baseball, but there's some arms in here that are helping along with Jeremy Jeffers, Rowan Wick getting great performances. But uh, what was your kind of, what's your feel about this bullpen right now? Because I know you have some thoughts. Yeah, um, I felt like it's really a tenuous situation um, all season. And obviously in a shortened season, it it's even more amplified. You know, Craig Kimbrell is a great example of, you know, he's only thrown 13 innings this year. Um, and he has a 6.23 ERA. And so if you were to just look at those numbers, you would think, man, Craig Kimbrell is really getting lit up this season. But as bad as it has looked at times, that's not really true of his last like 10 or 11 appearances. Um, just looking quickly, in his last 10 and a third innings, he's struck out 22 batters. He's walked seven. He's given up four hits. He's allowed two earned runs. It's a 174 ERA. And those two earned runs came in the same game in three of those seven walks. It was in that Reds game in the seven inning game where he blew the save and they lost. And, and I remember the conversation at the time, we all were kind of like, David Ross left him in about two or three batters too long. You know, it was very clear after the three batter minimum that Kimbrell just didn't have it that day. But mm -hmm. if you take that one performance out of the last 11, uh, it's inning pitched, no runs, one walk, two strikeouts, inning, two strikeouts, inning, three strikeouts, two thirds of an inning, two walks, two strikeouts. I mean, it's just, you know, his last five, it's uh, three hits, five innings, and nine strikeouts. So, like, it's been much better, but the numbers don't bear that out overall because it's such a weird short season. And then you guys, you have guys like um, Dwayne Underwood Jr. It's the same story, 16 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 10 earned runs, but a lot of that came early, and he's been much better recently. And the fastball has ramped up just a little bit. And in the article that you talked about from Sahadev, it mentions how Dwayne Underwood has been more focusing on his better pitches recently. His fastball is good, but it's not great. And he's not going to get away with going and just pumping 94, 95 mile an hour fastballs and getting guys yeah. out. He has to use his changeup, which is one of the better changeups in the game and his curveball, which is a very promising pitch that, you know, as Tommy Hadovy said is improving. You know, if he uses those pitches more frequently, he's going to get outs. He's going to strike guys out. And, that's what he's been doing. So you have those guys, you have a guy like Jason Adam who looked bad in his first stint with the Cubs, but since he's come back, his command has been great. His fastball has been great. And he's got good control of his secondary pitches. That's a guy that looks like he could be a solid middle reliever. So suddenly you've got Jeffress who's, you know, been really good this year, despite not striking guys out. Uh, you've got Ryan Tapera, who's been up and down, but mostly really good. Rowan Wick, we all know the stuff there. Kimbrell, if he keeps performing it the way he has. Dwayne Underwood Jr., the way he's been performing. Jason Adam, the way he's been performing. And then these other guys like Kyle Ryan, Josh, o Josh Osich, Rex Brothers, maybe Andrew Chafin if he comes back. So there is some promise here, and that's, I think, been the biggest surprise recently is you know, come to find out the Cubs actually have had one of the better bullpens for the last month and a half. Uh, and, you know, who knew that was happening, right? Yeah, so, right. <laughs> it's just, been, it's such a weird season, man. And they've, they've gone about finding ways to get it done. 
I think that's the most important thing is when, when it's all said and done, when they finish the year with, you know, 33, 34, 35 victories, and we look and we say, okay, they had a pretty good season. You know, nobody's going to really remember that it was all based on a 13 and three start and then basically a 500 ish finish from there. Uh, people are just going to look at it and say, the Cubs had a decent year. And that's kind of what the bullpen has done is they, at times it's been really maddening, but overall they've just had a decent year. Right. And that, that that's really all the Cubs needed from their bullpen. It's not like it, they need these guys to be shut down, especially when the rotation is, is, is working the way it has been for the most part this season. You really just need to, you know, those, those high leverage moments are really kind of where you, you worry about this group because we, we haven't really seen anyone really get to a point where you're, you're comfortable just about anyone coming in with a small lead. But um, they've still found a way to be successful, navigate it, and, and realistically not be the reason the Cubs are losing. And, yeah. and that was that was the issue last year. The bullpen was 100% the reason they were losing some games at, at different points. But Yeah. So I've got a question for you, and I'll answer it too, but – uh, let's imagine that first round series is a three game series, right? That, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, let's say that based on the way things are going, you've got Hendricks, Darvish, and let's say Alec Mills throws your third game. Um, and he gives you five innings and maybe John Lester goes and gives you, uh, an inning in two thirds or something. And you, you've got to give, you, you've got to do the, you know, let's say seventh, eighth and ninth, you know, based on that and you're trying to win a third game it's a tie game or you're up by one seventh eighth and ninth inning based on what you know now how are you lining that up who who are your seventh eighth ninth inning guys on this team i would say eighth and ninth are probably wick and uh and jeffress Mm -hmm. uh the seventh inning i i could see them going with kimbrell but i would also be very okay with Dwayne underwood there Um, that's probably, those are probably the two guys I would consider your high leverage guys. Um, if you wanted to work a lefty in, I, (laughs) I don't know who you would go with probably Kyle Ryan because of the track record, but, uh, Jas Osich hasn't been awful. Maybe Chafin comes in here, but I would say it's probably Underwood wick and, and Jeffers would be my three. Yeah. Uh, I feel like Kimbrell would probably, if he continues the way he has, but you'd have to have a short leash with him. Uh, and, and I would assume that you probably have used him at some point in the first two games of that three game series. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe on the third game when it's, you know, do or die, you don't risk a guy who could lose it at any moment, but really any guy <laughs> in this bullpen has shown yeah. that you lose it at any moment. So uh, that's really, I guess that's the best way to describe it is that, that it's really high risk, high reward. You do have guys like Ryan Tapera, who's, striking out almost 14 batters per nine innings. Uh, he has a 3.32 FIP, but he has a 4.58 ERA. Uh, he's allowed you know a couple home runs that were big. So yeah. like, you just don't know what you're going to get with some of these guys. The potential is there. Craig Kimbrell is the example. The potential to be great. You know, what I say, 22 strikeouts in his last 10 and a third innings. That's insane. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Um, I don't know how I'd line it up. I feel like if it were that do or die game, I'd probably be the same as you. It would probably be Dwayne Underwood Jr., Rowan Wick, and Jeremy Jeffress. Um, I don't love Jeffress as the closer, but yeah, me neither. he's done a pretty good job. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to like really argue with it. But if I were lining it up based on stuff alone, I would rather have uh, Jeffress as the eight and then Wick as the ninth inning guy. But I won't argue. 
Yeah, that's about where I would be too. I mean, I, I would say Kimberl, I guess in a postseason setting, like you may want to go with a guy with, with obviously a much better track record historically. But even then, like it's not like Kimberl's been in the postseason too much either. He was kind of in Atlanta when they weren't the greatest. He was with the Padres. And then obviously he was with the Red Sox and wasn't their closer, but pitching in the postseason. But not a ton to show there. But that being said, too, it's like none of these guys are really battle tested in the postseason anyways. Might as well roll with the guy who's probably a future Hall of Famer. So I right. I don't know. There's definitely wrong decisions to be made, but I feel like in that moment, there, there's probably about three to four guys you could go with and all four of those guys. You could you can at least make a case why they'd be there in that moment. So. Yeah. Looks like Kimbrell has uh, about tw- 20 innings of postseason, but it's like you said, it's almost entirely with the uh, the Red Sox. In 2016, mm-hmm. 2017, 2018. Yeah. All right, Cubs fans. That is it for the Cubs talk portion of our uh, interview with Ryan. Ryan and I vented a little bit about the Bears for like the last 10 minutes of our podcast because that Bears game with Mitch looking great, but not actually playing great uh, in terms of numbers and then actual play. And then we get into the <laughs> how it's felt like we've watched that Sunday Bears game like a kajillion times outside of the, the comeback and winning despite the drop touchdown or whatnot. So we talk about Bears. It's kind of funny. It's not safe for work. So if you do have children that are listening to the podcast with you or don't want people to hear some not safe for work stuff, uh, that's... <laughs> It's probably smart to maybe just fast forward to the end or just stop listening here now. But we just vent about the Bears for about 10 minutes. And I thought it was funny. So I'm, I'm keeping it in the podcast. It's not really Cubs related, but eh, whatever. It's, it's Chicago sports related. So here is Ryan and I talking about why we were annoyed with Mitch and this Bears team before watching the rest of Alec Mills' no hitter on Sunday. Yeah. I didn't even see. Did you? Oh, I meant to make my comparison on uh, on the bullpen and how what we've seen. Um, oh, well, I can just tell you what it was. I can just tell you what it was. It wasn't that important. I just thought it was funny. Um, my my comparison on the Cubs bullpen this year, uh, like what it, the reality versus what we see on the stat line. It's like yeah. uh, Mitchell Trubisky yesterday against the Lions having a <laughs> having a a one hundred four point two passer rating. <laughs> like, yeah, no, dude, that that mis- was misleading stat of the year. Right. Yeah. Mitchell Trubisky, the hero everyone thought he could be. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah. we were, so yeah, to give you the background, and, and you can add this back in on the podcast if you want, just as like a sure. blooper or whatever. But like, uh, so because we were showing our house yesterday, we were at my in laws' place and they were out of town. So we were just, I was watching the Bears game at their place. Uh, and after the game was over, we drove home and I was listening to the Cubs in the car, but. Uh, we're just driving home and I was in such a foul mood because of the bears. And my wife is like, why are you mad? They won. And I was like, I know, but I was mad for 90% of that game. And then I was happy. And then I was mad again for a split second when that dude dropped that open touchdown. (laughs) So like, yay, the bears won, but I'm still furious about how it happened. Right, dude, that Bears game. Like, I get they they kick those field goals, whatever. Those probably a couple of those could have been touchdowns, and there's the difference. But like, man, they were just and the lines were like committing so much. Like Jamie Collins, like trying to show what Dave Montgomery was doing, getting kicked out of this game. It's like, why the hell did they still have a chance to win this? Like, there's no reason the Bears shouldn't have been. Like, they outclassed that team 
for different portions of that game. And then it felt like the second half, they felt like they were losing. They were doing stupid shit too. And it was like, fuck this team. All right, man. Like this team this is not good. This defense is not playing as well as they should. And Mitchell Trubisky is going to somehow come out to be the hero in this game. Who would have thought, but not yeah. really. But. Yeah. My, my brother-in-law who is a Bears fan, but also a Cardinals fan was mm-hmm. lamenting that he wanted to be able to listen to uh, basically all bears all the time on the radio after the game yesterday and uh today and he's just like oh, i'm gonna have to hear about a cubs no hitter <laughs> like <laughs> and i was like you know what 670 the score it's the cubs radio station so you'll probably hear some but yeah they've leaned into the whole radio dinosaur thing with uh dan mcneil and some of those other guys oh, i geez. i guarantee that a cubs no hitter can't bump the bears winning a terrible game against the lions as the number one sports story. No, absolutely not. And even like, God, like even the pre or the, like the halftime show or whatnot, all those guys, like it feels like everyone is just itching to like fucking trash Trubisky, which like, you know, fair. He's been pretty bad, but like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, he's not good, but yeah, it was like, I don't know. It just felt lazy, but I was like, God, dude, People have been dying to talk about football since the pandemic started. So oh, I'm yeah. sure <laughs> like I saw, did you see Russ's tweet? He was like, man, he's like, if Alec Mills throws a no hitter, but Mitch Trubisky comes back and beats the Lions, am I still going to get the front page? And I was honestly <laughs> like, no, you probably won't. Like as stupid no. as that is. Uh, that is funny. Yeah. The, um, I saw this a couple different places, but it was that joke tweet uh, where it was like, you know, we were all itching for a return to normalcy, and the Bears are giving it to us. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like the Mitchell Trubisky sucks, and they're blowing a game against the damn Lions. The world is healing. Yeah, right. Now I saw someone tweeted something yesterday. I was like, I feel like I've watched this Bears game a hundred times. <laughs> it's like, yep. <laughs> yeah, that's what it felt like. I was like, damn. This offense has been the exact same for my entire adult life. Yeah. <laughs> just a team that just cannot fucking move the ball downfield and get into the end zone just constantly. Yeah. Like just a string of like a couple really good plays from like Allen Robinson making a stupid catch or like Dave Montgomery breaks away for like 15 yards and then like they get to the 36 yard line and stall out or Mitch get, takes a sack and loses 18 yards. It's just like <laughs> the fuck, man. Like <laughs> of all the things you were doing, I've heard about how your decision making's been the difference and you fucking run backwards, almost fumble and lose 20 yards. Like get the fuck off my football team. <laughs> <laughs> I was, this is probably a little before your time, but I was texting my, that same brother-in-law during the game. And, uh, I was telling him that, um, the bears through the, through the first three quarters that it was giving me like PTSD flashbacks to the 2004 bears with Craig Krenzel. Yeah. Oh, that guy was awful. Yeah. I remember he, I remember him getting hurt during that year and Chad Hutchinson having to play against the Cowboys. The Cowboys, the, yep. Yeah, oh, in, in, in the, yeah, this, whatever it was, Thanksgiving game. And I was like, God, this should be Some, so cool. I'm so excited, but they just are fucking so bad. It is so weird to me. Uh, and maybe there's something in science that'll explain this. But in my early years, there are a handful of good Bears memories that stick with me, like the 01 Bears with the back to back, like amazing miracle wins. And like, but, and maybe like a couple things from the Super Bowl year. But overall, 
my Cubs memories early are mostly positive things. And of course, you know, like the soul crushing 2003 and, you know, mm. things like that. But like the big ones stand out. But overall, I remember all the positives from the Cubs in my early fandom. For the Bears, it's mostly the negatives. Like you, like why would either of us remember Craig Krenzel and then Chad Hutchinson against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving in 2004? Like why would we remember that? That's not right. something you would think that a sports fan would remember. That's something you banish that you just can't, you know, you, you send it to the furthest reaches of your mind. But for some reason, that stuff just sticks with me. I think it's just something about the Bears. Yeah, <laughs> just all I the, don't know, All man. the awful, just like, I can only probably actually remember maybe like three or four of Devin Hester's touchdown runbacks. <laughs> and it was oh, really? in, in two of them, or two or three of them, I was at a game for. So like, I remember those really <laughs> well. And I remember that he did them. <laughs> I remember the yeah. one in the Super Bowl. <laughs> but like, I don't, I don't have, I don't have nearly as clear a picture of those memories as I do of like Henry Burris. <laughs> like, oh, Henry, really? Yeah, like those things just like are burned into my memory. So, like the 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 like the Devin Hester era is probably like peak when I was a peak bears fan, like maybe a little bit before when like the defense was like, it was like, you know, Brian Erlacher and, and Mike Brown and like mm. Roosevelt Colvin or something like that was the other linebackers. Like yeah, those guys. Yep. Yeah. The, I remember that a little bit, but I, I definitely like the Devin Hester era and like when the bears drafted Rex Grossman was probably about like, that's when I really started becoming a bears fan. So I remember all the Devin Hester stuff, but yeah, God, ugh, like, uh, what do I remember the most from that 2005 season? Thomas Jones being really good and then trading him because we drafted Cedric Benson. <laughs> like, So I've got a really good story on that. Uh, I, I, like every other Bears fan, was super pissed about that because they traded Jones with a second. I think it was with a second round draft pick. Or with a, a second round pick. pick. Yes. For, for basically the right to move up like 12 spots in the second round. Just yeah. pathetically stupid. Thank you, Jerry Angelo. But um, so that year... Uh, there was a Menards opening up in my town and uh, Dan Hampton was coming to do like the grand opening and he was signing autographs. So yeah. I went, I went with a few other people to get Dan Hampton's autograph. And when we were close to the front of the line, somebody ahead of us was like, so what'd you think about the Thomas Jones trade? Cause it had happened like maybe a couple weeks before. And he basically like looked at the dude and was like, they're going to be really sorry. They traded him because Cedric Benson is not a thing. like he was he was basically like they don't know what they're doing (laughs) yeah (laughs) like you are you are not going to be happy with the result of this trade and sure enough he was absolutely right god the only thing i can remember from the cedric benson era is how many times lovey smith challenged one of cedric benson's fumbles just so they could not look as stupid for trading him uh The only thing I really remember about the Cedric Benson era is when he signed Came the back Bengals. against Cincinnati. Yeah, and beat the and, shit and out then, of the Bears. <laughs> and just ran all over the Bears. And I was yeah. like, come on, man. This oh. guy couldn't even hold the damn ball through the tackles, and he just got 200 yards against this Bears defense. That's supposedly good. Yeah. yeah. No, I remember I re- that game. <laughs> I, remember, I remember him costing them a ton in the Super Bowl. That, that as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, he was bad. He had a fumble memories. in the Super Bowl too. Yeah, yeah it was, that was it fun. was like a it was like a goal line fumble, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god. Yeah, and, and I remember Thomas Jones fumbling the ball out of the end zone too. Yeah, like, that no, was that, that game, man. 
the first like 12 minutes were awesome. Like Devin Hester returns that kick. The Bears, I think Moose Muhammad scored a touchdown after like Bernard Berrien caught some ridiculous pass for like 40 yards. And I was like, holy yeah. shit, like we're, we're going to go up 14 nothing against the Colts and Peyton Manning. And then, and then Rex Grossman uh, crushed our dreams and Peyton Manning showed what a good quarterback looked like and right. fumbled the ball. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. This, this offense sucks. This defense has to score to win. Okay. Not, <laughs> not to not to totally rehash it, but I in retrospect, I don't think it was as much Rex's fault in the Super Bowl. I, I think yeah. he gets a lot of the blame and his numbers weren't good because he was desperation throwing the ball and, and getting picked off at the end. But yeah. like – it, it was wet. They were running the ball successfully with Thomas Jones and they just decided to go away from it. And there was like those few errors like Cedric Benson's fumble. And there was Daniel Manning just getting completely lost on a. On oh a yeah. The coverage. Reggie Wayne touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> and, and suddenly they were losing and Rex was throwing the ball like crazy to try and come back and getting picked off. And it just was, it wasn't going to happen, but man, the, that's one of the biggest Chicago sports history. What ifs is if they just don't completely botch that game. I think they were up like 10 to three or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like, cause mm-hmm. the, they basically were spotted a seven, nothing lead and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they couldn't make it work. Oh, so sad. Yeah. That's a bummer. But yeah, I remember that game being like, they were like, I remember the Colts only be up like 13, but it felt like it was like 40 just because this offense was just like, all right, Rex, it's second and 12. Uh, maybe try and throw it 40 yards this time. What do you think? And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And it's like, why, why are we doing this? We know he's not good. He's not a good game right. manager. You have two good running backs or at least one really good running back. I don't know. It's stupid. Yeah. But it just yeah. felt like for the majority of that game, they just should have kept handing the ball off to Thomas Jones and see what he did. And yeah, unfortunately, no yeah. Super Bowl for Bears fans, and there's probably not one on the horizon anytime <laughs> soon. Hey, man, Mitch is on pace to throw like what is it like 48 touchdowns, no interceptions, and three 3,800 yards. So, I mean, the league's on notice for yeah, Mitchell it, Trubisky. If he throws, if he throws three touchdowns in the fourth quarter every game this year, I'll be pretty happy. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would say at that point we'd be excited, but. All right. Well, that will do it here in today's episode of Locked On Cubs. Make sure you are subscribed to Locked On Cubs and whatever podcast app you use, whether that's Google, Apple, Spotify, TuneIn app, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to your podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a five-star review. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Locked On Cubs. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean R. Sears. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Q. Davis. Thanks for tuning into your guys' daily Cubs podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy this off day, and we'll see you back here tomorrow to preview Tuesday's matchup with the Cleveland Indians. Enjoy the rest of your day, and as always, go Cubs.